Welcome to She Persisted. I'm your host, Sadie Sutton. Every Friday, I post interviews about mental health, dialectical behavioral therapy, and teenage life. These episodes break down my mental health journey, teach skills to help you cope with life, and showcase testimonials from individuals, including teens just like you. Whether you've struggled yourself or just want to improve your mental fitness, this podcast is your inspiration to live a life you love and keep persisting. Hello, hello, and welcome back to She Persisted. I am so excited for today's episode. This episode is for college students, incoming college students, high school juniors. If your college experience is on the horizon, this one is for you. I know a lot of high school seniors, almost all I assume at this point, have just gotten their decisions back from colleges. So if you've applied regular decision, you're probably starting to make decisions about where you're going to be living next year if college is the path for you. And that's a really big decision. At this point, it's becoming real. You're like, okay, what's the weather going to be like? What is my routine going to be like? I'm not just going on summer break and going back to high school next year. Things are really starting to settle in. And for college students, you're starting to think about your schedule for next semester, where you're living, what's happening over the summer. Things about next year are, again, getting real. So as everyone is thinking about this next year, I wanted to do an episode talking about tips and tricks for really successfully transitioning to college or having a successful college experience. Because there is so many changes that go on. There are so many shifts in your lifestyle and stress and school and relationships literally every aspect of your life pretty much get turned gets turned upside down and so having education and information going into the situation can be so helpful so today's guests are jill and dave henry they've been coaching entertaining and educating teens in los angeles for more than 20 years combined Jill is an award-winning statistics teacher, and Dave is an Emmy-nominated editor and television producer, and together they are the authors of The Greatest College Health Guide You Never Knew You Needed. So this is a book that is chock-full. There is 101 tips in here, you guys, and they talk about everything from food, booze, stress, sex, sleep, and exercise on campus. It's all the information that you need to be successful in your college experience. They spoke to tons and tons and tons of teenagers and college students and college graduates to hear what they wish they would have known, tips they had for students. And with all of that information, they put it in this book and share a lot of it in this episode. So whether you're worried about navigating the dining hall or managing stress with your classes or making sure to have a good exercise routine in place or stay on top of your mental health next year, This book, this episode is your resource, and I think it's going to be really helpful to make this whole experience less abstract. So before we dive in, I want to let you guys know that Jill and Dave were so kind, and they are going to do a giveaway for one of you lucky listeners to win their book. So if you want to win a copy of The Greatest College Health Guide, head to my Instagram at ShePersistedPodcast, comment on the most recent post, your favorite part of this episode, and one of you will be randomly selected to win a copy of their book. If you want to add a tip, a trick, a piece of advice that you wish you would have known going into college, I'm sure that would be so helpful for people reading the comments to pick up on a little piece of advice. So with that, let's dive into this episode. Thank you guys so much for joining me today on She Persisted. I'm so excited to have you on the show. To start, can you tell me and listeners a little bit about you guys, your journeys, and how you got to writing your book? Of course. Yeah. So my background is in high school education and I'm also a high school girls cross country coach. And about five and a half years ago at this point, at the end of a cross country season, we had the seniors over for brunch and we were chatting with them. Just, they were in the middle of admissions season and filling out applications. So college was very much at the forefront of their mind. 
and they confessed some concerns about the transition. I think the biggest one was the freshman 15, because that's, you know, as a teenage girl, the physical changes maybe come to the forefront first. But once we dug a little bit further, they were concerned because they hear the news like everybody does about the mental health crisis at colleges and the statistics on sexual assault and drinking related deaths and suicides on campus. And they were worried about how they were going to translate what they knew about how to take care of themselves in the high school setting and at home living with their parents, how they would make that work in the college. And so we really wanted to try to give them the best guidance that we could. And we looked for a while for an existing product that was something like this, that was comprehensive, that covered all these topics, but presented it in a way that would be engaging. And we frankly didn't find it. And so we spent three years ourselves researching, interviewing health professionals, surveying hundreds of college students across the country, all trying to gather the best information we possibly could, but make sure that it covers everything you need to know from nutrition, alcohol and drug use, exercise, stress, time management, relationships, finances, sleep, and most importantly, habit building. Because when you show up on campus, you're starting from scratch. You've kind of lost a lot of the structures that you had in place before you got. And it was very important to us because this kind of health information typically is presented in a dry clinical way. How do we use our own, but most importantly, current college students' personal stories and their experiences as an entry point into these topics? Mm -hmm. So we're not just learning about nutrition. We're learning about what a senior from UCLA really wish they had known when they were a freshman about navigating the dining hall. And so that was kind of the impetus for our project was how do we take this information and make it engaging and rooted in personal experiences? Yeah, I I love that. And I think it's so important. I remember as I was nearing college, there was like a couple of things where people would try and give insight and advice. And I can't remember exactly what the book was called, but it was I want to say it was like chicken noodle soup or something. Have you guys heard of that? The advice <laughs> of book? Of course. I thought it was that. And I was like, if it's not called that, I'm going to be like, they're going to be like, what am I, I talking it's, about? I think it's chicken noodle soup for your soul. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> not, not just the soup. Just the soup. <laughs> I knew it was something with soup. But I remember reading it and it wasn't, or parts of it, and it wasn't very helpful because it was like a little blurb from one person's experience. There wasn't any tangible advice. There wasn't any research. And if you're going through that exact thing, it's like, okay, great, helpful validation. But other than that, there wasn't a lot of to to go off of. And what I really like about your guys's books, one or book, one of the things that I've been seeing all over TikTok is James Clear's Atomic Habits. And it's something that is it's a little bit dense. It's something I think is definitely not directed the teenage demographic, but you guys talk about so many similar principles when it comes to habit building and and in so much depth because just building a habit, especially for college students, can be so overwhelming, whether it's like nutrition or sleep or studying. Like there's so many different areas where you could do that, but you guys go in so much depth. And that's what's that's what's important is having that that knowledge, that education and guidance because you're on your own for the first time for many people. So I wanted to start by talking about the transition period. It's something that obviously a lot of students struggle with. It's a huge, huge shift. So talk to me about what are some common reasons that students do struggle and they find it really difficult to adjust to being at college. Yeah, so the, the research and the feedback from the students we spoke to points to three major things. The first one is the shift in identity. Yeah. Um, the second one is sort of the circumstantial and biological timing of when kids go to college. And then the last one is really the freedom. 
which ironically is a thing that students look forward to the most and ends up in reflection being the thing that challenges them. Yeah. So starting with the first, the identity shift, we were talking to a group of seniors yesterday, actually. And I, you know, we asked them, what are you most nervous about? And that's actually one thing that a lot of them hadn't cued it on was that when you leave behind the familiar setting of high school, you will likely no longer be the exact same person to that you were to your teachers and your coaches and your friends in high school. You probably won't be that same person to your professors and your friends and your roommates at college. And that's a particularly important thing to recognize for kids who are really high achieving, whether that's excellent students or excellent athletes, great performers in their high school, particularly those who went to small schools. Because oftentimes what happens when you go to college is now it's small fish in a big pond. Yeah. And so if you have spent a lot of your high school existence sort of thriving off of the praise of other people around you, and you've sort of built this persona of being who you are, particularly if you're great at things, it can be really hard to adjust to now I'm just one of many great athletes or great performers or great students. That identity shift is hard for everybody, but it's really worth recognizing for the kids who have, have found that in high school, they really thrived to be prepared for that change in identity. And Dave actually grappled with that personally in his transition to college. Yeah, I kind of had a hard time in the sense that football was really important to me and it was something that I was pretty good at. And I got a chance to play it in college and only for a year. And then I stopped playing and I transferred to a different school and I was only a commuter student. And so it wasn't just the issue of the external way that the world views you. Oh, well, you're a football player and that's what you do. And those are my expectations for you. It was internally for me, how am I going to spend my time now? Because so much of it was dominated by something that was outside of my control that made up who I was to myself, that when all those things were removed, I had all this time to try and figure out, well, what do I really care about and what do I want to pour my energy into? And so that wasn't something that I had been preparing for. That was something that just happened in an instant. And then now I've got to try and figure it out. And it took me years to, to really navigate this way or that way. What is it that I want to learn about? What is it? How is it that I want to spend my time? And it's one of the things I wish I'd been asking myself those questions a little mm -hmm. sooner. Yeah. And then the, the circumstantial thing, what we found in our research that I thought was fascinating, there was something built in the late sixties called the Holmes Ray stress assessment. And so essentially it's a cataloging of life's 43 most traumatic events. And it's really designed to help practitioners figure out, you know, advise their patients of whether or not they should expect an upcoming dip in their mental health. Mm -hmm. And three of the things that are in that catalog are starting at a new school, change in residence and taking out a loan. <laughs> For a lot of students, all, all three, three of those happen yeah. when they start college. You combine that with the fact that that 18 through 22 year age range happens to be included in the age range of the average onset for a lot of different mental health concerns. Mm -hmm. So generalized anxiety disorder and depression, suicidal ideation, disordered eating, alcohol abuse disorder, even something as simple as changes to your circadian rhythm, which impact your sleep. All of that tends to be captured in that 18 to 22 year age range. And so some kids find themselves dealing with these things for the first time. And that's compounded by the fact they're also dealing with a lot of other things for the first time. And so it can be sort of hard to figure out like what's changed? Why don't I feel good? Because there's so many different variables that have shifted. 
So the circumstances and the the timing um, make that really complicated. Yeah, the irony of what people are most excited about before they go to college and then what they wish they knew more about when they were seniors is kind of the same thing. Mm -hmm. We saw in our survey results that everybody's so excited about the freedom, about the independence, about the ability to control what I want to do, when I want to do it. And they should be excited about that. You know, they've spent... 18 years having everybody tell them what to do and where to be and when. To. And so to have that freedom is empowering and it's important, but seniors who are answering the question of what did I wish I knew before I got here? Or what, I, what was I more prepared for? Was that that same freedom, that same independence was completely overwhelming because yes, you have more free time than you're used to having before, but you also have just as much, if not more things to do. And yeah. so it's completely up to you to manage that schedule because you no longer have a parent telling you, well, you need to go to bed, it's late. Or a coach saying, you need to show up at practice, it's three. Or a friend who can even look at you after it's been a couple of weeks and, hey, you're looking a little off, are you okay? Yeah. You know, those are the kind of things that when you lose the structures of familiarity that you've been so accustomed to and you gain that freedom, it's now all on you. And so if you haven't spent any time thinking about how do I want to do this or where can I manage my schedule to get some of these things in that I know I need, then it can be completely overwhelming. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say on that, the reason that we talk about these things with students and we mention them in our book is that part of the conversation sometimes gets buried in the excitement of the transition when we were talking to seniors yesterday, the presentation started with the um, speaker that introduced us saying, we're going to have these people here talking to you about college. These are going to be the best four years of your life. And we had to open and be like, that's true. It's going to be great. It's also but... going to be super hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we shared the statistic with students uh, from the National College Health Assessment that's given every year to hundreds of college students, thousands of college students around the country, 98% report feeling overwhelming disappointment with how they're doing, whether yeah. it's academic, sleep, social relationships. And so we try to tell students, it's okay that you feel bad. In fact, if you don't feel bad, that's probably less learning. <laughs> that's probably more surprising. And I think that that's gotta be something that as a society, as coaches, teachers, parents, we just let young people going to college know, if you struggle, don't be surprised and you will mm -hmm. get through it but that that's gonna be a part of the transition. Change is hard and it's made harder by the circumstances of this timing. And the fact that you haven't had to practice being on your own before. And with that practice comes some difficulty yeah. and some pain. A hundred percent. There's so many things there. I think we know that growth comes with discomfort. And if there wasn't discomfort in college, that there wouldn't be that season of growth. And it's important to remember that even when people are like, best four years of your life like there, there are those hard parts as well which you guys touched on I think what you mentioned Jill with the identity crisis is a huge thing at Penn especially the first semester is something that I heard so many people talking about because you're at this school where there's so much highly concentrated drive and talent and intellectual ability and people are pulled from all over and that was something that I felt kind of lucky about going into college because I came from the Bay Area, which was such a highly concentrated 
area with high achieving students. We're peak Silicon Valley, like all these kids want to go to these amazing schools. And I went into college knowing like there's some things I'm really good at. I'm really passionate about mental health. I'm really passionate about the podcast. I have a lot of drive and that kind of things. And I was also like, well, I am not good at math. And that's really hard for me. And learning <laughs> languages sucks. And so I didn't have that moment where I was going in and I was like, I'm good at everything. I'm better than all of these people because that's just not how it works at college. And I felt really lucky to already know that going in that I wasn't going to be the best in every single class and that things were going to be harder for me in certain areas. And I think that's something that's important to remember. And that's true at any school. I feel like a lot of people have asked me, like, what are the classes like at Penn, like expecting them to be like crazy different. And I think if any college was doing their classes on a completely different way, people would be like, what's going on? Like, how is this degree going to transfer to other schools? And it's not that. It's just you have so many kids that are so highly achieving and they're really good at the classes and they want to be there and they're interested. Whereas in high school, there was the experience of like two kids really raising their hand and engaging and everyone else was like, I just have to be here. And so it's right. that shift. But it's, yeah, so many important points that you guys made. Yeah, you can one, th- one thing, just I thought of it as you were saying it, one thing that's super important that it seems like you had practiced and, you know, contextualized for yourself before getting there is for students to think about what makes them happy. That's yeah. internal. What things are they passionate about that no one can take away from them? That's not tied to a grade or somebody else's praise. Mm-hmm. Like you, you saying you have your podcast. That's something that you do and you're proud of. And I think students before they transition need to start taking a moment to look inward and be like, what can I do for myself on the regular that's not attached to my peers that makes me feel good inside? And that's something that we tend to not focus on or really have training to focus on as people. And so just looking internally rather than looking for the external validation is an important skill for students to get comfortable with before transitioning. A hundred percent. And I think what goes hand in hand in that is the the how much free time you have and how much you have to decide your schedule. If you like most college classes, some of them you'll have homework due every class, but a lot of them it's like reading that they're not really checking. They're hoping you're doing it, but there's not an external factor there. You might have a test every couple of weeks or an essay due for a midterm. But a lot of it is like done in a self-paced way. And if you're not able to structure your schedule and structure your life so that you can get those things done, also do things you enjoy and balance these other healthy habits, it's going to be really difficult to thrive from like a, a subjective perspective. And so it's really it's it's getting those skills in place before you make that transition. And I found interestingly enough, packing my schedule more made it easier to stay on top of things because when I go home, even for spring break, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to record a new intro for the podcast. And I have seven days where there's not much going on. And I'm like, I'll do it tomorrow. Like there's no rush, never got done. Whereas at yeah. college, it's like there's there's readings due, there's quizzes coming up, there's essays, I have work deadlines, I have the podcast. And so there are like these smaller deadlines built in that mean I have to optimize my time. And if I don't meet the deadlines, like there's, there's consequences. And so it's helpful to build those in. This week's episode is sponsored by Teen Counseling. Teen Counseling is BetterHelp's online therapy program for teens with over 14,000 licensed therapists in their network. 
A huge part of having a successful transition to college for me was having weekly therapy sessions to be able to check in, complain when necessary, and be 100% accountable with the goals and intentions I was setting for the transition. So getting support with interpersonal challenges, getting support with making sure that I was staying on top of my study study schedule, making sure that I was getting enough sleep and not becoming too overwhelmed with stress, and really just taking it easy and giving myself grace throughout the transition. And a huge part of being able to do that was having support and therapy. So teen counseling offers support on things like depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, and more, which so many college students struggle with. And the great thing is that they offer support via text, talk, and video counseling. So depending on what level of support you're looking for, they can go ahead and meet you where your need is at. So if you just want someone to text and get advice on how to improve say, healthy habits so that you're less impacted by stress, or you want to have weekly video sessions to really work through a couple of weeks of feeling really depressed. Whatever it is, they can meet you where you're at and match you with a therapist that meets your needs. So what you're going to do is you're going to go to teencounseling.com slash she persisted. You are going to fill out a quick survey about what you're hoping to work on. So whether that's stress, depression, anxiety, relationships, all the things that I mentioned, and using that information, they're going to match you with a therapist that's specializes in that area. From there, if you are under 18, you are going to put in a parent or guardian's email to give consent for treatment. None of your information is disclosed. I sent the email to myself. It just says Sadie or whatever your name is, is hoping to work with a licensed therapist with teen counseling. Please click here to learn more, give consent for treatment and provide payment. So it's all super secure. Your privacy is protected. The therapist patient relationship is completely intact. And from there, you're matched with a therapist and you start meeting via talk, text or video. So if you want to start your therapy journey or check out a new therapist, you can head to teencounseling.com slash she persisted. Again, that is teencounseling.com slash she persisted to find a therapist today. I would love to dive into the things that are important to practice and get in place with the transition. So those different domains of wellness and and learning how to do the wellness self-assessments, which you guys touched on, because I think that's one of the really concrete things that's important to be aware of to be successful in that transition. Well, and it's something that a lot of us don't have a ton of experience in beforehand when you're doing a self-assessment of how do I feel? Mm -hmm. You know, we typically think about the most acute, severe examples of that. Like I ate a whole pizza. I'm pretty sure I know how I feel. (laughs) Or if you, or if you pull an all nighter, everybody kind of understands that feeling of what that feels like, but not, we're not regularly asked to check in with ourselves. How does my body, how does my head feel? What am I feeling right now? And then the kind of second step to the assessment, which is even more important, which is how have I been spending my time? And so it's not just a matter of getting to the root of, well, why does my stomach feel like this? You just ate a large pizza. Okay, well, that makes sense. It's more about regularly every week kind of checking in with yourself and being, how did I do this week? Am I on top of my studies? Am I getting enough sleep? Am I having too much fun with my friends? Whatever those questions are, whatever the answers that you find in terms of how you've been spending your time, the most important thing we can encourage you to do is be honest with yourself without judgment. This isn't for social media. This isn't for your parents. This is for you. And so if the answer might be not satisfying in terms of how did you do with your schoolwork this week, that's okay. It's, it's more important that you're able to look at it for what it is. I, I didn't do well this week and I can do better next week. 
rather than I'm not doing it. I'm not staying on top of what I need to. And I'm spiraling now. I'm, I'm in a situation where I, I feel terrible. It's no, it's what did you do? And then how can you do it differently if it's not making you feel the way that you want to feel? Right. Yeah. And in terms of building things in, one of the things that we suggest is start small and think about the anchor, the bookends of your day, right? So little habits that you can put in place that make you feel grounded and in control. And when we talk to students, it's think about things that take a minute or two. So craft a little morning routine for yourself so that every day you at least start the day feeling like I got this and it might fall apart later, (laughs) but at least you start the day on the right foot and then have an evening routine that is also somewhat controlled so that you go to bed feeling comfortable and calm and ready to open the door on the next day. And then you nailed it, Sadie, with the idea that the more structure you can put in place for your day throughout the day the more control you have over your time. And so one of the things that we talk about in the habits section is the idea of connecting habits. And I think classes in college tend to be somewhat scattered, right? You have Tuesday, Thursday, or Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and they're all at different times. So your weekly schedule is very different than high school, where you're in school from eight to 2.30 or eight to three, then you have some time for homework, then you have sports, whatever. It's it's all the same Monday through Friday. Mm So one of the things to think about with college is on my Mondays, can I dock a workout after my biology class or, you know, what time will my meal be? And then what can I do productively after that? The one thing that I want to add on in terms of the academics is hormonally, we are most focused in the morning. So I know for myself personally, I saved a lot of my work in college for the evening because that's when I did it in high school. Yeah. But social obligations pull at you in the evening in a way they didn't in high school because you're not in, you know, at your parents' house in your mm-hmm. bedroom, you're in a dorm surrounded by friends. And so one of the things we pitch to students is you have to schedule homework time yeah. like it's your job. Mm-hmm. And the best time to do it is in the morning because you're free from social obligations to an extent. And also your body is sort of at peak place for concentration and focus and cognition. And so it's a great time to do your hard assignments. You could return emails at night, mm-hmm. but don't save your most important papers or, you know, the, the hardest readings that you really need to absorb for those evening hours. And while that is absolutely true from a research standpoint, you know that there's going to be a percentage of the population that's like, dude, I am not getting up early to do my right, homework. Me. And that's, <laughs> I am <laughs> yeah. the population. And, and I'm a night owl and that's, and, and That is also okay, but if you schedule that time and Mm -hmm. hold yourself to it and say, I'm going to be in the library from 8.30 until 10.30 at night, I know exactly the place of the library that I go, I know the drink that I bring in with me before I sit down, whatever those rituals are that you use to help you stay on task, the most important thing is that you've carved out that time in your schedule to do those things. And like anything, it takes practice right. to do this. And it, and you're not going to get it right all the time. And that's also okay. But the more you start putting these things in place, the easier it gets. Well, and the last thing I'll say on that, that was a big piece of importance for us in the book to communicate was there, there will be so much failure in taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's a message that seems to be lost in a lot of health books and a lot of communication, particularly with younger people who are just getting started taking care of themselves. 
is imperfection has no place. I'm sorry, only imperfection has place in that conversation. That's the trial and error is a requirement for figuring out what works for you. What works for Dave and how he works and structures his time is not what works for me. There's not, unfortunately, a one size fits all plan to figuring out how you spend your time and how you structure your day. And so one thing we really tried to give credence to with our personal stories and the stories of other students was that the failure is inevitable. And the sooner you can get comfortable with the idea that it's going to take some time to figure out. And even if, let's say, you have a nice morning routine and a nice night routine, at some point you're going to fall out of that. Whether it's you go home for semester break and then you realize like, wow, I'm so unproductive when I don't have my structures. Mm -hmm. Or you just get really busy studying for midterms. Even the best intention plans will fall apart. And all you have to do when that happens is recognize it and be like, oh, I got to try to put things back together now. And the more you do it, the easier it becomes. As people who have been doing this (laughs) for, you know, practicing this for a long time now, it's, we have to communicate to students constantly. We still struggle with this. It's a human thing to struggle with this. Nobody is perfect with it. But the more you do it, the easier it gets. Your health is not pass fail. Right. It's your ability to get back on track. That's what's important. That's the thing that matters. It's not a a balance beam you're trying to stay on. And if you fall off, well, I guess you're not making it Mm -hmm. to the next round. Sorry (laughs) about that. Yeah. It's your ability to get back on track and say, okay, well, maybe I'll try this better. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. And I think it's really aligned with the idea that if you're not progressing, you're digressing. And even if you have a day where you totally sleep in and stay up way too late, are you going to go and study for an hour that day? Are you going to take five minutes to go on a walk and get outside? Like those tiny movements are still putting you on the right track and and helping you work in the right direction. I would love to hear what kind of factors are really important to stay on top of as you go to college. Obviously, structure is really important. These habits are really important. We talked a little bit about sleep and exercise. I'm sure nutrition is important as well. But what are the different things that you guys recommend teens be really aware of as they're entering this transition? So we think, and we pitch this in our book, there are sort of five dependable places that as a college student in that environment, you can end up just feeling like garbage. And so the first one is the one that I think a lot of students are most aware of is the the complication of the dining hall and sort of the all you can eat access to garbage. Mm -hmm. Pretty conveniently, if you eat too much garbage, you will feel like garbage. And so that's one. The second one is with alcohol. So either too much consumption or too frequent will make you feel like garbage. Mm -hmm. Exercise, I think is a really hard one, particularly for kids who are high school athletes because they are so used to having a time to show up and knowing what to do. And so having to restructure that as well is hard. But for most kids, the absence of exercise does not make them feel good. A lot of students we talked to thought walking to class would fill that void, but it's different. You're not sweating, you're not working your muscles in the same way. And so for that age group in particular, they reported that just not moving made their bodies feel different and not in a good way. Yeah. The academic avoidance when things got overwhelming. Some statistics we found were interesting is that 88% of students felt disabling anxiety about their academics. But then 72% said, it's because I procrastinated. It's very clear. They're (laughs) they're not unsure about why they feel that way. And so staying on top of academics is another one. And then the last one, like you nailed earlier, is sleep. So those are 
Those are sort of the five key areas that students should be aware of and then try to protect as best they can with some habits. So the easy ones we pitch are when things get out of control with food and you're trying to get back on track, make you know, bad foods. And I'm putting this in quotes because no foods are bad. It's just certain ones don't make your body feel good. Mm-hmm. They're not as nutritious. Make those inconvenient where you can't. So one of the traps I fell into as a freshman was I have a real soft spot for Cheetos. And so I would just pack bags of Cheetos into my dorm room. And as a result, I would eat bags of Cheetos. There is a study that came out of McGill a while back that basically debunked the idea of willpower mm-hmm. and said, it's not willpower that some people have and others have, it's access. And so if you can try to limit your access to things that don't make you feel great, that's a stronger thing than trying to strengthen some willpower muscle. Yeah. So with food, it's it's the idea of leveraging inconvenience. And the other way that shows up is if you know you have a soft spot for food ordering apps or financially that's putting you in a tough spot, take your credit card or debit card information off of sort of the auto save so that you have to go through the hassle of putting it in. And in that moment, you can decide, is this something that I really need to do? And that can prevent you from sort of the late night, like fourth dinner or mm-hmm. spending money that you didn't be, you know, didn't want to be spending So those two things work with the leveraging inconvenience piece around food. With drinking, because it's kind of a zero to 60 situation for a lot of kids, you know, we're not encouraging people to drink before they're 21. But the truth of the matter is that most college students will become legal drinking age while they're in college. And so starting some realistic information about what alcohol does to your body and what are the potential pitfalls is useful information for everybody who is going to college. Even if you decide not to drink, your roommate might end up in a bad spot. A friend of yours might be in a bad spot. These are things everybody should know. So from a quick tip standpoint, if you can learn how to set intentions for your week, first and foremost, I know I'm only going to go out on Thursday and Sunday or whatever the days are, If you can take some control over when you're going to do it, you can avoid this kind of uh, free-for-all ideology where it's Tuesday on a, and somebody on your dorm room is going to, or somebody on your hall is going to come and be like, what are you doing? What do you want to (laughs) do? That has potential to happen in the college setting. And so if you can take a little bit of an ownership situation over when you are going to blow off some steam, that at least is something you can quantify. Where at the end of the week, maybe you didn't stick to your two days, but you know you didn't and you had an idea of what you wanted to do. And so it gives you an idea of what you can do differently the next week. And then probably the most important thing for college students is understanding how to set limits for your personal ceiling of what your body can handle. In the advice of don't drink until you're 21, what is lost in that information, what is, or excuse me, what is lost in that advice, that idea of abstinence, is that if you drink too much alcohol at one time, you can die. It happens every single year on college campuses across the country. And we're not trying to use scare tactics to get people to make certain decisions. It's understanding that alcohol is a poison. If you drink too much alcohol, you will suffer from alcohol poisoning. And there are mathematical ways to take your gender and your weight and find the limit for what your body can handle within a frame of time, okay? So we saw so many students by their senior year have these survey questions of what I needed to know, what I had learned was that I can only have three drinks in the night and that's my limit. And so whoever you are, it's important to understand what is your limit. 
And I'm sure that for many, there'll be some kind of exploration in terms of finding that edge. But there's such a tipping point of when the positive feelings of alcohol, the euphoria, the excitement, the relaxation, the lowered inhibitions, completely nosedive off a cliff at a certain blood alcohol content or BAC number. And that's 0.12. Everybody's kind of familiar with 0.08 is this is what the legal drinking age or driving age, excuse me, the driving number for what I can drink and kind of stay underneath. But what's not talked about is that after your blood alcohol goes over 0.12, euphoria turns into dysphoria, which is the opposite, anxiousness, restlessness. And when you get up into 0.15, you start to black out. And when you get into 0.2, you start to pass out. And by 0.3 and 0.4, you can enter a coma and you can stop breathing. That's not explained to college freshmen when they show on for orientation on day one. And so you see paramedics or ambulances outside of dorm rooms in the most dangerous time of year is the first semester of freshman year, because you've got a bunch of people who are like, we've been waiting so long (laughs) and we're here. Mm -hmm. And they weren't uh, prepared to understand that if I overdo this, this can have horrendous consequences for myself. I could hurt other people. And it's not to say that you can't drink responsibly or you can't have a good time. That's absolutely possible. But you should discover what your limits are so you can make that intention of tonight, I'm only going to drink this amount. And this week, I'm only going to go out on these days. And the the one thing I'll add to that is 25% of college students don't drink at all. So there, if you're hearing this and you're like, well, I don't need to know those things because I'm not going to drink you will find your people, right? Mm-hmm. One in four kids at college don't drink. So it's not it's not as though you won't be a part of the social scene if that's your move. It's just that it needs to be communicated mm-hmm. to kids. You can't chug a bottle of whiskey. And you hear those stories every year and it breaks our hearts because it's science. There's a number, everybody has a number. And if we could just as, as a community try to be comfortable with the idea, even though that students are 21, under 21, and we know it's not legally okay for them to drink. Some of them may choose to, and the best thing we can arm them with for their safety is an understanding of what is safe and what is not. And so just delving into that, if students could, you know, just know what that number is before they get to school, that's one way that they can protect themselves a bit from the consequences of overdoing it. And on a slightly lighter note, talking about (laughs) How do you make adjustments with exercise when you're coming from a setting where you had a PE class in high school or you used to play sports and now you don't have anything? Explore what your college offers Mm. at their fitness center. Because if there's a class and maybe it's Zumba or maybe it's yoga or it doesn't matter what it is, but if there's a class that you can sign up for that is free or close to free, all you got to do is show up. Yeah. And then it will, the, the rest of it will take care of itself. And that's kind of one of the hardest things to learn how to self-motivate when you've mm. been on teams before is, okay, well, I put on my running shoes and I got on my basketball shorts, but what do I do now? <laughs> and then I'm 10 minutes in and I'm sweating. I'm like, okay, well, I think I'm good. I think I'm good for We're today. Done. <laughs> we, yeah. we, we did it, right? We did it. We walked up the stairs a couple times. Participation points. <laughs> We're good. So we really recommend looking into what is it that your school offers and use that to your advantage because it will make it easier on you. Well, and, you know, to that point, it's the idea of leverage convenience. So sign up for the class or wear workout clothes to class and then go to the gym after you're done. 
find a workout buddy. If, if all else fails, you know, have an activity tracking watch so that you can be inspired by your own motivation to close your rings, which is what drives, <laughs> which drives me personally <laughs> most days. And so just looking for ways to, to make exercise easier because a lot of students will confess motivation for that is at a big low when you don't have a coach that's expecting you to be there and you don't have games anymore and you're not training for anything. So that's another one. And then the last one we'll say for sleep, because we already talked about academics a bit. I know it sounds lame. Have a bedtime set. It doesn't have to be 930. It could be midnight, but quality of sleep is impacted by consistency. And so if you're trying to go to bed around the same time, at least Monday through Thursday, that sets you up for just more restful sleep cycles. And the other thing we pitch to students is don't make your room the party room. Monday through Thursday, have an agreement with your roommate. We go to other people's rooms because <laughs> it's a lot easier to just sneak out the door than it is to kick people out. And so in terms of trying to stick to a healthy sleep schedule, that's the little ways that you can have a bit more control over your weeknight rest. Yeah. And that's, yeah. I think those are huge and all very manageable and reasonable if it's a, a goal for you. And again, making it easy for yourself, making these things convenient, building an accountability are are all super helpful. This week's episode is brought to you by Sakara. Sakara is a nutrition company that focuses on overall wellness, starting with what you eat. You might have heard of their meal delivery services. They are gluten-free, vegan, non-GMO, organic, all of the things, and they get delivered to your door. No prep required. So they have breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snacks. It's super convenient, and it's an amazing way to make sure that you are getting all of your nutrients and your food is fueling you for all of your activities that you are doing. They also sell a ton of wellness essentials. Two of my favorites are their detox drops. They are chlorophyll drops. I know you've seen them on TikTok. I have as well. You add them to your water. And what I like about these ones is that they don't add a taste. So even though the water is green because of the chlorophyll, you're getting all the benefits. It doesn't taste like gross or like a greens powder. It literally just tastes like normal water, which is one of my favorite parts of it. My other favorite is their sleep tea. This is an amazing thing to add to your night routine. It has chamomile and lavender to relax and wind down before going to bed. It's a great addition to your nighttime routine, I highly recommend it. So if you want to check out Sakara and their wellness essentials, you can use code XOSADY at checkout for 20% off your first order. Again, that is code XOSADY at checkout for 20% off your first order using the link in today's show notes. We did touch on this a bit, but I would love to hear what the most common things that college students are struggling with. I think when you're in college and when you're in this new experience, a lot of the times it feels like you're the only one that's ever been through before. It's very isolating. What are some of the common things that people have reported experiencing and are like, no one else has, do has this happen, but, and you're like, actually, everyone is struggling with this. There, we had a quote in our book that I really loved, and it was from a senior at NYU who was like, you know, basically her overarching advice was seek help when you need it. And she was like, you might feel like you are overwhelmed and white knuckling it through life. And that's just the way it needs to be. And it's not. And you need to remind yourself that you don't have to just keep pushing through. Seek out help from the resources that are on your campus. There, it's a whole environment designed to support you. You have an RA on your floor as a freshman who has been trained to at the very minimum point you in the right, right direction for help. You have a campus wellness center with people who are experts in this stuff. And the other thing that, that, that came through a lot in student feedback was 
know who you can call off campus because sometimes being on campus is a source of stress. And so just reminding students to, before you leave, put some numbers in your phone or names rather, when you are at like an eight or nine out of 10 and you feel like you're gonna burst because you're just not doing well, have some names of people you can call, trusted adults, family members, coaches, teachers, that you can just open up to and be vulnerable with. And sometimes the solution to your problems is taking a step back from your campus because that can be a source of anxiety in that transition. And so a lot of students were just like, look to, look to your old support systems and also set some intentions about trying to maintain those relationships best you can, because that's, that's an important part of your happiness is feeling like you do have strong relationships and invest some time in maintaining the ones that you left high school with. And so I know as a coach, that's been such a highlight of my life is feeling like my runners can reach out to me when they're at college and they're in a bad spot and to be that person for them is an honor. And I know a lot of other adults feel the same way. And so if you're a student hearing this, know that the people in your life who love you want to be there for you and know that you can always call them. Yeah. And just to add to that too, when you go off to a new school in a new place, you're surrounded by new people, it is a different world, Mm -hmm. right? And it's, it's brand new and it's overwhelming at times, but what you frequently forget when you're a couple months in or a few semesters in is that that world that you've entered, that you're in the middle of, is not the only thing that exists. Mm. And Mm. so it's so easy to get lost in this idea that the grades and the friends and the experience that is all around me is the only thing that I have to pull worth or value or purpose from. And that when you find yourself in those moments of I'm overwhelmed, I need to step away from what I'm doing That's why it's so valuable to have that list in your phone of people you can call because they can help remind you that there's so much more than what is right in front of your face at the moment, you know, and whether it's your new best friend that you found out is not your new best friend or an internship you really wanted that got to somebody else, whatever it is, it's, it's so easy to forget in that moment that that's not the only thing that exists, that there are other people I can lean into. Yeah. And the one last thing I'll say on that is particularly for students going to schools in cities or college towns that have sort of a vibrant college community outside of the school itself, get a job off campus if if you can, or invest your time into the community in some other ways so that you have some other outlets that are local, but that allow you to remove yourself purposefully from the college environment. And that can be somewhat of a lifeline in terms of just taking a step back and taking a breath and resetting and being like, I have other things. It's not all just being at this school. That is my life. That gives you a little bit of perspective that can be a helpful reset. Yeah. I think that you're also making your own life a lot easier if you can see that bigger picture and have that connection with the outside world. Because when you get to your post-grad years, you're like, I'm good. I've got this. I already am somewhat in touch with these other communities and 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 things like that. And you don't go through the whole thing again of having that really rough transition, high school to college and then college to grad life. And so I think you're doing yourself a favor if you push through that discomfort when you're in college and you're really setting yourself up for success. What is one piece of advice that you guys would give college students or teens that are about to enter college? This, oddly enough, was a piece of advice I received when I was pregnant with our first child that I think translates to this type of situation. 
make a list again on your phone of some reset practices so that when you are at a five or a six on your little stress scale and you just need to step back, you know what to do. Because in that moment, it can be really easy to forget what is it that calms me down or allows me to shift focus. And the reason I like it on your phone is that's always with you. When, when I was pregnant, we had it on our fridge. So Dave mm-hmm. could be like, Hey, you should go get a coffee because you <laughs> said that makes you feel good. And I would also suggest students share this with their parents or whoever they tend to, you know, talk with the most so that they have other people who can remind them. But the, the ideas for this are keep them relatively cheap so that money is not an issue. Keep yeah. them easy, convenient, When we talk to students, we say, have a few of them be things you can do outside of your dorm room in case roommate conflict is an issue. But I think as people, we don't often allow ourselves a moment to just step back and be like, what makes us happy? What can I do that will recalibrate me and give me a moment to, like we were saying before, reflect on how I'm doing and hopefully find some gratitude in the way that I've been living my life, but at least give me a moment to look at if I need to make changes, where do I need to make them? Just some, some space builder activities. And these don't need to be everyday things. Hopefully you can build them in a few times a week, but at the very least when things feel overwhelming and you need to take a step back, do you take a walk? Do you go get some coffee? Do you take a hot shower? Do you, you know, Dave used to sneak into the music building and play their piano. Uh, And I think, so whatever you can do that, you know, makes you happy. The list is different for everybody, but being prepared with some tools so that you have an option to reset when you need it feels like a very simple thing you can do to have a little bit more control when things become out of control. Yeah. And I'm, as an additional tip, I'm an enormous believer in micro goals. Mm. I'm not a naturally organized person and, you know, being on top of things is something I've had to work really hard over the years to kind of conquer. And so you kind of touched on a little bit with when you analyze your schedule and you packed it, you felt like you were more on top of this and more on top of that. So you're taking a day or a week and you're breaking it down into smaller substructures. Well, I would do this exact same thing when it's time to work on school. So it's not just about setting aside three hours to go to the library and now I'm going to do this and all of a sudden 45 minutes went by and I got my second cup of coffee and like, wait, what was I trying to work on? (laughs) Break it down into micro goals. So I set a timer on my phone for 25 minutes and I put it over away from me so I can't touch it and I'm only going to read this section for 25 minutes. And the flow state, by the way, is real. You have a superpower you can tap into that when you decide to engage into something and you continue engaging for long enough, you'll just keep cranking away and you'll be so much more productive than you were when you were like, oh, wait, what notification just went off on my phone? Or, oh, I'm out of coffee. I got to get up again. I mean, you can't sit here without like coffee. That is what it is. (laughs) So for me, that's been extremely valuable because it also gives you the opportunity to practice it's time to work. And it's so easy to kind of find this excuse or that excuse. And for me, totally, that that happens all the time. And so I'll look at the hour and say, well, what can I do before that hour? I'm going to set the intention. It's 43 minutes from now until then, set the timer, go. And if you don't hit it, who cares? You're working and you're not looking at your phone and you're not standing up and walking around. And so if you can find a way to use micro goals to your advantage, so it's less about, okay, my to-do list says, do all homework on Wednesday night. (laughs) It's no, read chapter two in the next 10 minutes. 
and then reassess what's next on my list. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that translates to anything that's time-based, exercise, socializing. If you find that you're kind of paralyzed by social anxiety, when you get to school and are afraid of making friends and going to club things, setting those little micro goals for yourself of like, I just got to go for 20 minutes. I just got to go to the gym and sweat for 20 minutes. I just got to try to talk to people, even if it's 10, just setting some really easy goals for yourself so that you can spend your time in a way that serves you is the quickest way to making sure that you're moving in the right direction. Like you said earlier, it's like one tiny step in the right direction has a potential to have a real snowball effect. And the last thing I'll say about it, all the areas of our health are connected the sleep, the exercise, the eating, the stress management, they all work together. So if you just pick the area that feels easiest for you, if you're like, I, I like sleeping, I could go to bed <laughs> earlier every day. Mm-hmm. You'll notice once you start getting more sleep, then you're like, Oh, I have the energy. Maybe I could exercise. Once you start exercising, you're like, I feel pretty good. I'd like to keep feeling good. Maybe mm-hmm. I won't eat a pile of pizza at lunch. And so one small action can trigger this lovely waterfall of other things that fuel your soul and make you feel good in your body and in your mind and it all starts with just one tiny little step yeah i i think that's huge and i think all of this really ties in to the idea of maintaining your baseline before you get to that point like you talked about reading those headlines where kids are really struggling with their mental health and and some crisis happens it's making sure that before you ever get to that point, you are maintaining these habits and and moods and goals. And it really ties to something that we talked about in my psychology class, which is that these really acute cases of depression or anxiety or suicidality or OCD, whatever they are, they get treatment very quickly. Like the, the timeline of when they ask for help and when they get support is a lot shorter than people that are struggling with anxiety or depression, but on a lower scale. But those people that are struggling on the lower scale struggle for years longer without asking for help. And in that way, it becomes much more intense. It impacts a lot more of their life because there's that not that acute need to make a change. And so being aware of that, like five or six middle, like things aren't great. And I'm kind of aware of that. Yes, they could be worse, but they also could be better is huge. And I think it's something that if you can get on top of these basic things as a college student, you're setting yourself up for success, not only in college, but your life after. Um, Where can listeners continue to consume your content, get your book, follow along and all of that? So our book is anywhere books are sold. Amazon probably gets you to it the most quickly, but if you love to support indies like we do, you can get it from any, a lot of indie bookstores, go through IndieBound or um, Bookshop. As for as content, we're so excited. We're starting a, a thing next week on social media and it'll be continuing now three times a week of takeovers with current or recent grads, current college students or recent grads talking about the stuff that's in our book. Where did they struggle? What yeah. do they wish they had known? What were they most excited about and what were they most surprised by? And we've got some amazing students lined up who are really excited to share about their experiences. So students preparing to go to school or in school, we're hoping to create a real community of just sharing and then also providing resources and research where we can on that page, but in a fun kind of snappy way, just like we do in our book. But we really want to create and provide a community for students so that they feel like everybody's kind of struggling. Even if what we see on social media looks happy, everybody, we're all in it together. And that is something that we really want to promote. So that'll be on our at greatest college health guide, Instagram, 
And our personal Instagram is at two coach Henry's. If you want to see cute pictures of our children, because that's <laughs> primarily what is I on love there. it. I love it. Well, thank you guys so, so much for coming on. She persisted. I know this episode is going to help so many people and I'm so glad we got to do this. Yeah. Us too. Thank you so much for having us, Sadie. It's an honor to be here. Of yes, course. Thanks.